0: Well, I want to welcome all of you once again to the beginning of this uh, four-part series that we're calling uh, Make an Impact. And again, whether you are a member of Bethlehem, a regular attender, or someone brand new, here's, here's something that I know is probably true about you. That when it comes to your life, you would rather not just take up space on the t- planet die and have really made no impact in your life. That when it comes to the time we're given on this earth, whether long or short, our hope is that we've left an imprint, that we've left an impact that is in many ways, maybe even, bigger than who we are and lasts longer than what our lives are. Over the the next four weeks of this series, um, I want to let you know that you and I, as Christians, and specifically as a church, have been given an opportunity to do just that with our lives, to make an impact that is even bigger than the people that we live with, that is even longer lasting than the years we have on this earth. So to kind of get you thinking about things that make an impact, I've got an opportunity for you to talk with the person next to you. So if you came to church this morning and you were fighting with the people next to you, you got to change your tone right now because we are in church and you need to talk nicely and answer this question from your perspective. If you could name an event from the last 1,000 years— that had a lasting impact. So it may be only from five years ago. It doesn't matter. But between now and 1,000 years ago, an event that happened in the world history that had a lasting impact, okay? Right now, I'm stalling to give you time to think. So I talk real slow. And okay. All right, you've got 30 seconds, an event that had an impact. Go. There should be more talking than that. Not Logan. My birth. (laughs) 15 seconds. 15 seconds. All right. Let's wrap it up. Now, when historians have a lot longer than 20 seconds to think about that and have done their research over days and weeks and years, here are some of the events that they come up with that have had the greatest impact over the last 1,000 years. I wonder if any of you picked any of these. One of them is the American Revolution. That led to, you know, a new type of government that was of the people and by the people and all that good stuff. Um, There's space exploration was one that's mentioned. Um, The invention of the light bulb by Thomas Edison. Um, World War II is in there. I think World War I often is in there as well. Uh, Christopher Columbus, Discovering America is also in there, and maybe more an obscure one, but... uh, really huge impact, the uh, invention of the printing press by Gutenberg. Anyone, anyone mention that one? We had, okay, you did, Harold? Nice, nice work. All right, good. There was one person in the first service, too, that mentioned it, but um, big events. Now, here's what might surprise you. In every website I checked and every, you know, even documenting magazines that have done a search like this, everyone had in their top five an event that's very dear to me and this church. Exactly, Harold. Very good. The Lutheran Reformation. And I mentioned before, there's a man named Martin Luther. I think we have a picture of him, a drawing, a painting of him here on the screen. 499 years ago tomorrow kicked off this thing called the Lutheran Reformation. So here's the question. Why was it so impactful? Now, if someone asked me to answer that question, here's how I would answer it. The Lutheran Reformation had such an impact because it re-centered a world that was Forgetting that salvation and forgiveness is by grace alone, back to the truth of the Bible, that we have a right relationship with God only through Jesus and that salvation is a gift. I would say something like that if a reporter asked me why so impactful. But here's the strange thing historians who have nothing to do with Christianity and maybe don't even believe still put the Reformation in the top five most impactful events in the last thousand or longer years. Why? Well, let me tell you why. They would focus in on Martin Luther's bravery and his willingness as one man and not a very high social status either, to stand up against the power of the day. And that through his not backing down, up against the powers of the day, and in fact, the success that he had in breaking that power, it led to a new era where people, the common person, had more influence and more ability for their opinions and their thoughts to be heard. That's what a secular historian would say. Now, here's the question for you. Who was the power that Martin Luther went up against, one man against the power? <laughs> it wasn't like the evil Soviet empire or something like that. You know, that's way too much, uh, you know, later. I see some hands. Laura, you got it? Okay. so. The church, all right? The church, because at that time there was just one church. So don't think Catholic church, just think church. It was the church. What happened is that over time, the church had more power and influence than what God ever intended for the church to have. And so they were not only in charge of spiritual matters, they were dictators over spiritual matters, They were not only dictators over spiritual matters. And oh, by the way, if you're a common Christian, you are not good enough to read the Bible. We'll read it for you and tell you what it says, okay? Not to mention that Bibles were scarcer to find as well. That's where the printing press comes in. But they also had power, the church did, over militaries and over nations. They were the ultimate authority and the ultimate power of the time. And as you can imagine, this power of the church, this misconception of what the church was, led to some pretty bad things happening in the midst of the church of that time. It became a hierarchical institution that became almost like a controller of people rather than a sharer of truth. And so if the people weren't doing what the church wanted them to do, they had the power just to create a new doctrine or to tweak an old one, to call it tradition, and that the tradition was just as important and as, I guess, truthful as the truth of the Bible. <laughs> or if they needed more money for their ministry or maybe, you know, for the party they want to throw, I don't know, and that's just my interpretation, um, whatever. If they wanted more money, they would create things to almost leverage heaven itself with people and their fear of hell by saying, if you don't buy these indulgences, these pieces of paper that say you're forgiven, that you may not go to heaven, that you need to buy your forgiveness. And, and Luther, Luther saw the truth because the Bible's really clear. It's just that the, the, the church was not And you might remember some famous words of uh, Martin Luther um, when given the command to take back what he had written and what he believed about God, he said, here I stand. I'm not going to back down because what I've said, what I've written, is the truth of God. And I don't care what anyone else says. I'm standing on the truth of God. Over the centuries, the, the, the Christian church, the, the definition of what the, the church is, has been manipulated or maybe forgotten what the true meaning of church is. Um, this word, you'll see it on the screen, church. Um, at the time of Luther, it got misconstrued as, again, instead of a sharer of the gospel, it became a controller of people and of governments. Her own personal influence and benefit. Now, uh, that would only be 500. 500 years later, the church probably in most cases doesn't have that same idea when people hear the word church, but on a much lighter note, I think we still get it wrong. Most people, when they hear that word church, you think of a place. Most of the time when people hear the word church, they think of a building, and you use words like, I went to church today, or I didn't like church today, or I loved church. You think of a place you go to sing songs and um, listen to a message and have coffee and a donut, and then you go come back to church in a week. And church, in a lot of ways, has become synonymous in our day and culture, a place. Now, what I want to just open your mind to today and throughout this series is that when you hear church, I don't want you to think about a place ever again because that's not the definition of church. So what I want to do is help define it through God's word. Before we get there, here's our first fill-in for today. When church is correctly defined, church is correctly understood. So when the word church is correctly and not misinterpreted or misconstrued, then the purpose of the church and what it stands for will be correctly understood. And like I said, that's our goal today, is to define it correctly so we can better understand the purpose, not only today's message, but over the next three weeks of what the church was connected and created to do. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at some verses from one of the most influential first church. His name is Peter. Peter was one of the 12 disciples. Uh, he was one of Jesus' inner circle, one of his three best friends of the 12 disciples. And um, he also was a writer of some of what we know today as, as the Bible. He wrote some letters to Christians in the Roman Empire. Now, his first letter that is very creatively entitled First Peter, because it was the first letter, um, was one which he wrote to a group of Christians who were enduring persecution. And they were starting to give up in their faith, and they really couldn't see how they connected with what God was trying to do in the world and in the Roman Empire. And so Peter writes to them some encouragement. We're going to look at just a few verses of that encouragement. First Peter chapter 2, beginning with verse 4. Peter writes, as you, Christians, followers of Jesus, come to him, and then look what Peter calls Jesus. He calls him a living stone, one that was rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. What we're going to see in this verse and the next one is that Peter is going to talk to us about a building program. But it's a different type of building program. We'll get more explanation in the next verse, but for now, here's what Peter wanted them to know. Jesus is the big stone, foundational stone of the building that will be built. In another place in verse 6 that we don't have time to look at specifically, he's called the cornerstone. You know what the cornerstone is? In that time, it was not the decorative thing that had the archives behind it. The cornerstone was way more than decoration. It was the stone of by which the entire rest of the building would sit and would be formed. It was the most important stone. Jesus is the most important st- the living stone, verse 5. So you also, because as long as we're talking about this building analogy, you also, just like Jesus is the living stone, you are, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, Offering spiritual sacrifice is acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So Jesus is the big stone. He's the cornerstone. Christians, that I'm writing to, I'm Peter. All of you, I want you to think of yourselves like little stones that are being mortared together and built on top of each other to create a spiritual house, like, a, like an imaginary house. Like, you know, are we using our imagination here? Where are you going, Peter? No, not imaginary, but one you can't see and yet exists. Not a building like you'll see walls, but a real building nonetheless. One that has spiritual, not just physical, impact. You're Christians like a bunch of stones that, if working together, can be built into a spiritual house. Now, this Imagery goes very well with other sections of Scripture where uh, the writers talk about the church. The word in the Greek, I'm using english word ekklesia. And in the NIV translation that we use, every place that ekklesia is seen in the Greek, the English word church is used. The unfortunate part is this. When we think of church, we think of place. And Ecclesia is not a place. That's not the best definition of it. Ecclesia is a people. It's a gathering, an assembly. Remember when Jesus told Peter, you know, on your confession that you just had about me, I'm going to build my church. And you're thinking, all right, he's going to build, you know, kind of a structure. Um, I'm going to build a gathering. I'm going to build a people on the confession that you just made. And so here's our second fill-in that is so important for us today. The church is not a building. You, rightly, biblically, I'm looking at a bunch of stones. (laughs) Not just rocks in your head, but you are rocks. You're bricks. You're parts of a, a building that God wants to put together. And guess what? here's the thing, it's going to blow your mind with purpose. You're not just the church on Sunday morning when you come to church. You're the church on Sunday afternoon gather with friends. You're not just the church on Sunday morning. You're the church when you write about Jesus and the impact he's made on Facebook. You are the church on Monday morning and Tuesday night and Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, every place you go, there is the church. You are the church at school, young people. You're the church at work. Whether you talk a lot about Jesus or not at your place of work, it makes no difference. The church is still there. Wherever we go, there is the church. It's not just a building. And Peter wanted these Christians who felt purposeless and lost to know that they had great purpose, even though maybe at times they didn't feel it or see it. And and I know that way. Because before he would tell them the purpose that they had as the church in this building project, he spent a whole verse putting these four explanations together to encourage them because. I'm thinking that they were listening to Peter or reading what he was writing, and him saying, "You know, we're going to do this. We're going to build this project with you." And they're thinking, "Do you know who I am, Peter?" I'm like, "Nothing. Ain of the Roman Empire's existence. We are so small in this empire. What? I have no significance. What can I build? What can we together build?" And so he spends a verse for statements to describe who they are. He says, you're a chosen people. I'm nothing, Peter writes. No, you're a chosen. You know, all of us have their to be wanted. We have this this inner desire to be picked. It starts in grade school when they're picking kickball teams, and the last thing you want to be is last. And then in high school, the girls are hoping that they get picked by the right guy. Not any guy, I found that out, but the right guy. (laughs) The right guy for the dance, or whatever it is. And and the guys are hoping they get picked to make the team, especially the varsity team. And it continues into work world where we hope we're picked for the the job opportunity or the the right team that's kind of up and coming or whatever it might be at your place of work. We all have a desire to be chosen. And God is telling you, you are. You have great significance because God, and guess what, it's not because you kick a kickball far or because you're great at sports or good-looking or popular or funny or whatever. In fact, when, when God looked at you before Jesus, when he saw nothing good because our whole existence was one of enemy of God because of our sin, but that's where Jesus came, the cornerstone, and he changed our future. He adopted us through his death and resurrection as his children, and now you're a Christian, you can likely, confidently say it wasn't by accident. God wanted me to be where I am, and because he chose you, nothing can change that. It wasn't an accident. (laughs) You're a royal priesthood, the next phrase. Now, this doesn't mean as much to you but it meant a whole lot to those Christians 2,000 years ago. Here's why. They were coming off thousands of years of the Jewish system, Old Testament system of church. And so there was people called priests. And rightly so in the Old Testament, because the Savior had not come yet, there there was a gap between people and God. The sin was the gap, but the people who sort of, I guess, closed the gap until Jesus would come, were the priests. And the priests would pray on behalf of the people. They would do sacrifice the people. They, in some ways, were not better than the people, but they had a closer status, not status, but they had a closer connection to God. That was their role. What Peter is saying is, now things have totally changed. Jesus Close that gap. The sacrifice of his death and resurrection got rid of the separation between us and God. And guess what? He's saying to them, You now are the priests. You talk to God in the name of Jesus anytime you want. There are no sacrifices needed because Jesus was a sacrifice. And oh, by the way, you are now the ones, all of you, to share the news, to share the message. You are priests. You're a holy nation, no matter your background, your nationality, your country. Those who believe in Jesus live umbrella under the flag of the cross. You are God's special possession. Did you know that who owns something often gives it value? In a very humorous and almost, you know, head-shaking way. I found this out uh, not too long ago when I found that some half-eaten French toast of Justin Timberlake was sold on eBay for a thousand dollars because Justin's lips were near those French toasts, you know, and just, you know, that, that's crazy. That's, I mean, that's crazy. I hope no one here bought it. That's, it's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. Now, that might be crazy, but how about this? You've got two pens, one you bought at Target, the other one was once owned and used by Abraham Lincoln. Which of the two would you be more protective of? Okay, so who owns something adds value to it. saying here very much like chosen people that you are God's possession. You have value. And we, we live in a culture where we often feel valueless because we try to find our value in the things that don't last or the things that are going to disappoint us. If there's one thing you could go away with today, if it was just that I'm valuable to someone, that I'm valuable to God, I mean, that's enough. You're not just his possession. You're his special possession. Because you are his, you are valuable. Now, It's like, Christians, this is who you are. You think you're nothing. You think you're just like worthless stones. No, (laughs) you're valuable stones, right? You're valuable rocks, and you're being built together for what? That you may, and then it continues, that you may ensure that your mansion in heaven is paid for. Now, if you're brand new to this section or to the Bible, that's not what Peter says, but that's what sometimes we think that God did all this stuff for us just so that we can be confident about heaven someday. And yes, that's part of it. But that's not what Peter said. Here's what he said. That you may live at, back up one, that you may live at peace knowing that while many around you are in trouble with God, you and the big guy are A-OK. I mean, that's why Jesus made you what you are so that you can feel better than everyone else. And, you know, you may not have peace, but I do. No, that's not. Here's what Peter said. That you may go to church on Sunday morning, drink coffee, and have a donut hole or two. (laughs) That's why he put us together. That's why he's made you all these things, so that church can be merely a place you go to have coffee and donut holes, the songs and the music, and the sermon. Because you are right now. No, that's not what Peter wrote either. Here's what he wrote. I made you all these things so that you may declare to others the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. I've made you all these things and they have personal benefit to you. But the purpose is not just so that you feel better. The purpose is bigger than that. The purpose is that I, through my life and reaction to my experiences and through the days that I have on this earth, can declare the praise of him because he's done great things for me. And if you're still not motivated yet, Peter's like, okay, well, let me just reiterate verse 10. One people, but now you are the people of God. Remember that, remember that season of your life when you had no hope and you were wondering about the future? Remember when you were those people? Now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now, remember, now things have changed. Now you understand the grace of God. Now you have received love that lasts forever. Our next fill-in-the-blank. So Jesus built the church to make an impact. Jesus built the church not just to exist, to be comfortable, but to make an impact. Now, if you, you are brand new to church, this is a perfect day to be here because you've probably had questions. Well, what's the church all about? And why do we gather on Sundays to church, to the building? But this is a day where we re-engage and better are reminded of what the purpose is. And our purpose has been to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus because he's the living stone. He's the cornerstone. And we feel like everybody needs to know him. And sometimes I wish that you could sit where I sit as a pastor here. Because There are these days when I get to see things that I wish everybody could see. And I'm so blessed to be able to see these things or to read these emails or to get these texts. Um, About a month ago or so, we got an email from a mom whose first connection with Bethlehem was her daughter going to our middle school ministry called And she was just glowing in her email about the difference that our middle school ministry made for her daughter that night, how excited she is to come back, and how thankful she was that through our journal uh, assignment for her that we created this opportunity for her, the mom, and the daughter to talk about things that are more important than what, you know, got going on tonight or whatever. Or the email I got last week from a woman new to Bethlehem, and she just wanted me to know how much she appreciated what we do on the weekends. And it had to do with the message, yes, but it had to do with the environment that she said worshipful and the people who are welcoming. I wish, I wish you could sit sometimes, where I sit, and get to see the impact that you, that we, are making. And I know this is going to sound like a, an old dad looking at his kids, but <laughs> I'm proud of you. I'm proud of the impact that we've been making together and the time that you give. And believe me, Carrie and I know from personal experience how hectic things are and how easy it would be just to stay home sometimes than to go volunteer. But you're making an impact, and that's the purpose that we've been given now. As we look to the future, I'm going to tell you something that's probably going to surprise you. That I would say it, but I am, and then I'm going to hopefully inspire you. After it, it's this: that Bethlehem doesn't need a new building to exist. Like we could exist for a long while without more space. Um, might have to leave our church, honestly. And we'll, you know, choose straws and flip coins for that. But most of you could stay. And it would be easier. Because right now we're making the bills pretty well and uh, things are pretty comfortable. In some ways, like, I like comfort. I like easy on some days. But when I read... What Peter wrote, when I read what Jesus said to his church before, he didn't say, keep looking up into the sky while I leave and be comfortable. Two angels came and said, why are you looking up in the sky? There's work to be done. We have an opportunity, Bethlehem, to make an impact that lasts longer than we live and that is bigger than who we are. There are these these moments in the history of towns and of areas that only once ever where land that used to be farmland becomes homes and people. There is no opportunity like that opportunity in the history of Lakeville, in the history of Farmington, and we're living in it right now, and God has called us not just to exist to make an impact, but to make an impact. Here's our last fill-in for the day. And so this thing we're going to be talking about, tonight, next Sunday night, it's not about building a church. Uh, The group uh, that was in charge of kind of leading this was very specific on wanting to get that across through the theme of our initiative. It's not about building a church. It's about being.